0: Welcome to Truth and Liberty. Thank you for joining our interactive daily broadcast where trusted leaders bring insights and analysis to the issues from a biblical perspective. According to the Bible, it's the truth you know that sets you free. So call in today to get biblical answers, information and resources to help you stand for truth and effect godly change in our nation and the world.
1: And now here's your host, Andrew Womack. Welcome to our Truth and Liberty live call-in show. I'm Andrew Womack, and I'm here with my three brothers. We are the four Mingos, or <laughs> <weren't that> three. <laughs> but anyway, we have had a wonderful time this week. It has been better than I thought, actually, and I Amen. I think part of what's made it so good is the fact that we're all interacting the way we are. It has been great. Let me just say before we get into talking about some things today that this week has been a little bit unique because we've had all four of the hosts here and uh, we're doing it together. We did that so that everybody would get to know us and know our relation to each other. But uh, starting next week we each will host one day. Mark has on Mondays, Alex is Tuesdays, I'm Wednesday and Richard is Thursday and then we'll alternate on Fridays so that no one of us will have to uh, do more than two programs per week in any one month. And we're doing that just because we're all really busy with what God's called us to do. Also the format is that we spend the first segment uh, just talking about either current events or a specific scripture or something like that. And it's been really rich Mm -hmm. sharing the things that we've done. And we do that for the first segment. We take a short 90 second break (coughs) and then we come back and take phone calls in two more segments. So we have an hour of people calling in. If you want to be a part of that, it's going to be about 28 minutes, I think, before we take calls, but you could call 719-619-2341 and be the first one in line and we'll take your call and we'll discuss it with you. And We've been having just an awesome, Great. awesome time. Amen. I've really liked it. Amen. Amen. So today, what I want to kind of start with, we've been talking about Truth. The title of this thing is Truth and Liberty. And I've got this little thing that I wrote about, I don't know, a month or two ago. I just sat down and wrote this thing over a weekend. And uh, it's, this is what's going on, not only in our culture, but in every single person's life. Satan you know, came against Adam and Eve, and he didn't try and force them because he had no power to force them to do anything. What he did was attack what God had said, Attack the truth of God's Word. And if they had not compromised the truth, they never would have gotten into sin. And so this is really what's happening in our culture. It's what's happening in each person's individual life. And we're offering this as a free giveaway. You can call in at 719-635-1111. That's my typical helpline that's open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and this is my gift to you and uh, so you can get that. But anyway, I want to start talking about that. And I'm trying to get through this quickly because I want to give everybody else a chance. But let me just say that in Romans chapter 1 it says in verses 18 through 20, I'm going to summarize just for time's sake, but there is an intuitive knowledge on the inside of every person who has ever lived on this planet of right and wrong. He said he's revealed himself against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness. When you have people say that I have no conviction, I'm a homosexual, I'm a transgender, I'm committing adultery, I'm going out and getting drunk, doing drugs, and it's just fine, that's a lie. They know in their heart better than that. And this says that, but then it begins in verse 20 to show you four progressive steps that people take away from the knowledge that they had of right and wrong. And the first thing is they don't glorify God. That means they don't give the proper worth and value to God and to His Word. They are not thankful. They become vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart becomes darkened. Or another term for that is that they get hard-hearted. And it gives progressive steps. The last one on this train to being reprobate, which is what verse 28 is talking about, the last stop on that train to reprobate. Is homosexuality. And boy, Mm. we are seeing this happen in our culture today. So we are fighting a battle over truth, and that's why we have truth and liberty. And we're not only talking about scriptural things, but we're also talking about current things in our society today. And I believe that this is going to be a good place to go, a go to place when you have questions about things that you can call in and praise God. We'll be glad help you. So let me just bring those scriptures out and ask you guys what you think about this. You got an opinion?
2: Well, I will.
1: (laughs) Hmm. Mark and I have been having a good time. Yes. We don't agree on everything. But you know, it's not the major things. And people, I've had a number of students come up and say they just love you
2: and me picking it. (laughs) Amen. Amen. That's awesome. So what do you think? Well, I think that key um, is in that scripture where it says they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The fact is truth is there, but it's being suppressed. So I was, uh, we have a group at Church for All Nations. It's for 55 and older, we call it Vintage Prime. And uh, we have a monthly gathering. It's awesome, it's grown. And we have a real precious couple, Roy and Joan Bach. And they used to live overseas, and uh, boy, he's just got a ri- they've got a rich ministry background. But they taught on uh, spiritual warfare just a couple of Sundays ago, and I was listening to it on the way up. And so they were just giving some basic definitions of witchcraft. And they were talking about manipulation and domination. And I remember Lester Sumrall, I didn't know he said this till after he was dead, and I heard it on one of his messages, he said, there is more witchcraft in Washington, D.C. per square inch than anywhere on the planet. Wow, and, and I've I went, never heard that, but I, I wouldn't disagree. I, I had not either, but let me tell you I, I, why I do agree with it, is there's so much, that is the most powerful office in the world, the seats of Congress, mm-hmm. and the Senate, and the Supreme Court, So wherever that's power, but what we're seeing, like we were talking yesterday about the January 6th tapes Mm -hmm. that are coming out, that is horrific what has been withheld. What did they do? They suppressed the truth. Mm -hmm. And then they come in with unrighteousness on top of it because you said it, Andrew, God's built it. You know, Ecclesiastes said eternity. God set eternity in the heart of man. I remember Kenneth Copeland shared a story. <clears throat> he said before he was saved, he ran around with a pretty rough crowd, and then he got born again, and one of one of his old cronies came around, and he said, Kenneth, I heard you got born again, and he had some things he wanted to talk about, so they started talking, and he led him to the Lord, and he's two weeks later, somebody blew him off of a porch with a 12-gauge shotgun. Wow. And I believe that it is in the heart of man, and the reason it's dangerous to sear the conscience or suppress truth and unrighteousness, one, is truth is the only way we can be free. Truth is the only way, and there is a difference between liberty and freedom, Mm -hmm. because you're free, so to speak, to do whatever you want, but where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. So Bishop Joshua was talking about when they got liberated from uh, Great Britain in 62, He said, what if everybody would have said, we're free now, and then some decided they're going to drive on the other side of the road, and so we have to have law in order to have liberty, and ultimately that law is God's Word. And that's why I kind of impartial, I got to hear really the beginnings of this book when you preached. First time I ever ministered it was at your church. And it was so good. Everybody ought to get this but you were talking about Pontius Pilate and here he has the truth standing in front of him and he's asking, so what is truth? Well, in in Romans it said, it's it's made manifest to them, even creation reveals it. So anyway, that's why I love what we're talking about. It's not always popular. Truth will bring division, but the witchcraft, that's really witchcraft Mm -hmm. that is going on in our media. And people don't think of it. You think of so, a, yeah. someone with a pointed hat over a cauldron. Well, no, they've got a suit and a tie on behind a camera. That's right. And they're suppressing the truth. And there are people that are still locked up from January 6. There was a man that committed suicide because yeah. of it. Um, it's horrific what's going on. Yeah. yeah.
0: Last yeah. night, Tucker Carlson had the lawyer on for the uh, QAnon shaman guy. And of course, he's already been sentenced and is serving his sentence out. And this lawyer um, was controlling his outrage, but he was saying that no, he did not know about these tapes, had never been given any notice of them whatsoever. And it's definitely exculpatory evidence and that the prosecutors were under a duty to provide it to him. And then he talked about his client. He said this man has, um, he's got some mental illness, and that shouldn't be a surprise to everybody, but he's a gentle, and highly intelligent and kind person, and uh, that he's been locked in solitary confinement ever since he was arrested, and he's basically uh, rotting away in there. Who knows what's going on with him as far as mental health goes, but the lawyer made the suggestion that it's not good, his condition is not good. So it's it's a pretty extreme injustice at this point, I think.
3: Do you, do you think he could get a retrial?
0: Well, I, I was talking to practical government school today a little bit, and I said, I, w- it remains to be seen we have to see how this plays out, but it's entirely possible that that judge could issue some show cause orders and, and uh, put you know kind of have a come to Jesus meeting with the prosecutors. If he's if he's a good judge of integrity, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened because right. he's probably been de- uh, deceived as well.
3: Hey, I I want to read a verse talking about, you know, people not getting a fair trial, truth being suppressed. Proverbs 29.3 says, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but when the wicked bear rule, the people mourn. And do you know what, talking about truth, we're we're living in a time, I mean, my goodness, yesterday Jill Biden uh, gave this Woman of the Year Award to a man, big fat ugly man dressed like a woman, uh, but he's he's a trans woman, and you know I have to. Are y'all like this? I've got to listen so carefully to the news because they'll say trans man or trans woman, and I'm thinking, are they talking about a woman that thinks she's a male or a male that thinks she's? I mean, you've got to really listen intently, because we're in a time like you were reading Andrew that people are suppressing Romans one eighteen. They are willfully, yeah. knowingly suppressing. Or holding back the truth, and and the Bible says this: um, this is the indictment, this is the condemnation that men love darkness rather than light oh, because their deeds were evil. And the- and I, I want to say this: having debated a lot of atheists, there's not an atheist, progressive, liberal, whomever that doesn't deep in their heart know truth. Absolutely, there's not a one of them that's going to die, stand before God and say, "Oh my, god, there was a God. I I didn't see this coming." No, everybody knows. But the fact is, because of sin and agenda and bias, people suppress truth. And what we believe, I know
1: I I speak for you all, the truth will set people free, and the truth is Jesus. Mm. Amen. And you know, to that same point, when I was in Vietnam, I witnessed to a lot of atheists. And they would tell me that there's no God. And I I used this verse and I said, look, God's revealed himself from heaven. You know intuitively that there's a God, even his eternal power and Godhead, verse 19. And they'd say, no, I don't have any conviction. And then the bombs would get to dropping and the bullets flying and these people would be crying out, oh, God, God
0: no atheists in foxholes.
1: There either. are no atheists in foxholes. They know better. Yeah. And it is a mind game and a verse that goes right along with suppressing the, the truth right. is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, talking about uh, the wicked one being revealed in verse 8, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan hmm. with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. And here's the reason he's able to do that because they uh, received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And the next verse says, For this cause God will send them a strong delusion. Mm. So the truth. Holding on to truth is the only protection we have against being deceived and against this witchcraft and stuff. And when people embrace a lie, it doesn't matter if it's a direct lie against scripture, which is I think the foundation of most things, but if it's just lies, like you're a a woman today, even though you were born a man, anytime you embrace a lie. I think you mentioned it yesterday. It's like you put a layer of insensitivity and you just harden yourself, and it's a progressive thing. And boy, our society is headed in the wrong direction. Right?
0: You know, Pilate, uh, speaking of Pilate again, he, he, the Scripture's clear about why he did that. You know, he, he released unto them Barabbas, and he knew Jesus was innocent, and yet he sent him to be punished because he was afraid of the crowd. He's thinking he prioritized his own interests political agenda above the truth. And that's what people do all the time in every situation, circumstance. They're thinking they value themselves more than they do the love of the truth. And that Absolutely. opens them up to deception and um, prevents uh, you know, the Word of God from having its impact
2: on them. And Andrew, in that verse 11 you just read, it says, and for this reason, God will send them strong delusion. And then that last sentence, that they should believe yep. the lie. You know, Jesus warned, uh, he said, be careful that what you call uh, light is not indeed darkness. Mm. So th- that, is, that is a very sobering thing. We have to be so careful. Mm. I have an atheist, a precious couple in our church. He was a radical atheist, and they started coming during COVID because I think their church shut down And he just told me sometime he'd like to share his testimony, and I got off on quantum theory and mechanics every once in a while because it's fun. It's a little itch I have to scratch every once in a while, but it (laughs) fits the sermon, okay, it really does. And because, you know, your natural physics laws, quantum physics, those laws don't apply over there. It's really a reflective of the spirit realm. So anyway, he came up and he said, I'd love to share my testimony. Do you know in 15 minutes, He went from a hardcore atheist to a believer because he had an encounter with God. Mm. And here's what happened to him. So he had believed the lie. He said he was actually kind of proud that if I could have a little bit of time, I could get you to understand there is no God. you know. And he had this encounter and he describes it. He actually wrote a little booklet about it. And it really touched me because he said, all of a sudden he said, everything I have believed, is a lie. Mm. What he thought was true was not. Now, thank God he found it out now and not when yeah. his spirit leaves his body. Mm. Because yeah. once you, you don't get a second chance. So what opened his eyes? What? It was an encounter he had with the Lord. The experience was like this thing of, this sounds strange, but water. In, and he said it, it came to him and it started going. And as it did, all of a sudden, something started coming off of him and i actually want to encourage him to write his little it was an excellent little read and it you know our vision at church for all nation is experience god mm-hmm. connect with people to serve others for life made better so the way i say it is people have experiences all the time now i came out of a church when i gave my life to the lord the nazarene they looked down on experience mm. but we don't seek experience but when we encounter God, and when we're in His Word, uh, there can be an experience with Him. It's not the feelings that you're following, it's God, you know, and it's an encounter. So oftentimes, what I find, like with atheists, we've had some of those debates at CFAN yeah, and uh, been to dinner with Michael Shermer. Yeah. um uh, uh, David Silverman. David Silverman, Silverman. some He's, of the very, very famous atheists. They had something happen. And one of the things I have said is that I believe when I run into an atheist, quite possibly they had an irreconcilable experience in life, a tragedy, and they couldn't reconcile it. And then a lie gets inserted. And when I tell people, when there's pain in your heart, that means you've believed a lie. It's not the event, and I've had some horrible traumas in people's life, but when the truth comes in, it sets them free. Mm -hmm. And so, this man went from being a hardcore atheist and inside of 15 minutes, he was a believer.
1: Amen. Mm. You know, let me go back to this. We were talking about you have to suppress the truth. Everybody has a starting place. They acknowledge the truth. And Pilate was saying, what is truth? You made the point yesterday, Alex, that he was looking at truth and saying, what is truth? And right here in Matthew chapter 27, Verse eighteen, the account of Jesus standing before Pilate, it says that Pilate, he knew that for envy they had delivered him. In other words, he knew that Jesus was innocent. So he had some truth. Mm. He was able to perceive that this was foundless, baseless, what was happening. And then in the nineteenth verse it says he when he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with this just man, for I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. So he knew that Jesus was innocent. His wife had a supernatural encounter and knew that he was innocent and told him so. So he had more truth than what he was acting on. And you know, Jesus says in a number of different places, if you don't uh, steward what you have, then it'll be taken away from Mm -hmm. you. If you do steward it, then more will be given unto you. So every one of us have an intuitive knowledge that there's only one God and you aren't him and that you need to submit. And we have some truth, uh, regardless whether you ever study the Word or get taught anything, it's intuitive. You know, you were mentioning earlier about uh, having the knowledge of God in their heart. And there was a book written about that, God in Their Heart. Have you ever read that book? Uh, is it the one Perfect. about Don Richardson, Eternity in Their Heart? Eternity in Their Heart, mm-hmm. based on
3: Ecclesiastes See, I don't I see remember the one. names, and I can't spell all. Of them. Uh, that That's is
2: R. I. C. That is
3: Eternity in Their Heart. I interviewed him on our radio show, and and Don Richardson, he was like a missions expert, documented all of these tribes, all of these people groups and they knew there was a God, that he was a creator, somehow were accountable to him. And there was even some that um, had this maybe tradition handed down that
1: one day God would send his son to rescue the human race. And one of them even had the name Jesus, that the person coming would be Jesus. He went to the scriptures where Paul went in and said, to the unknown God. And he went back and showed that I think it was 200 years before Paul went there that they had all of these gods that they worshiped. But uh, one of the leaders, I don't know what they called him, but a guy who was a real leader in Athens had a daughter, I think it was, that was dying and out of desperation, he prayed and said, God, if you're there, do something. And God appeared to him and uh, healed his daughter, but he didn't know who he was. And so he had this statue made to the unknown God. And Paul was referring to that. And all of them had admitted that there was some God that they didn't know the name. In that. So anyway, every tribe, this guy had been to, you might know more, but he had been to dozens. Yeah. I mean, dozens of different countries. And every single group of people on the planet have had an intuitive knowledge yeah. of God. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was in Vietnam, outside of my main headquarters, there were these three temples that were five stories tall, and they were close. I never went up to them, but from the road, it looked like they were only you know two, two feet or maximum apart from each other, five stories tall. They had fallen apart, trees were growing out of them, and I inquired about them, and they said that it was one temple to a God manifest in three parts, and it was 500 years before Christianity reached Vietnam. How about that? Now that's not to say that they were worshiping God right. correctly, but it showed that there was an intuitive knowledge, and that's what Romans one uh, twenty says. They know even His eternal power and Godhead. Yeah. Mm. And Chichanitza in Mexico, I've been there. They worshipped a god that was in three parts, and the um, that eagle. What do they call that? Uh, mm. Anyway the Thunderbird. Oh, yeah. uh, the yeah. Thunderbird was one of the manifestations. They worshiped a God that manifested himself, and the Thunderbird is one of those manifestations.
0: Yeah, that comes back to life.
1: Right? And of course, it wasn't a true worship because they were you know, doing human sacrifices and stuff. But nonetheless, the point we're making is every person has an intuitive knowledge on the inside of them. It was put there by God. And they know more truth than what they're acting on. And every time you go against this revelation that God has put in the heart of every person, you put a layer of insensitivity between you and God. You harden your heart, and if you persist doing that, you actually become what Romans 1:28 calls reprobate to where God just takes all conviction away from you and there is no chance of repentance. And that's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. So we're advocating truth.
0: In Romans one, it says that though they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, and neither were they thankful. So, how important is thankfulness? Amen. You know, and and this kind of to me goes back to what I was saying the other day that the the left it's it's basically a coalition of the envious. You know, they they all are envy. They're, it's it's they're all offended and envious, and and they can't seem to be thankful for what they have as Americans or acknowledge how good yeah. things are.
2: I just preached that recently. mm -hmm. I said, I think thanklessness could well be one of the greatest sins in America. And thanklessness was what caused that ancient world Mm -hmm. to plunge into immorality. When they knew God, they ceased to give thanks unto God. And there are those angels crying, holy, 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 Lord God almighty, all the time in in heaven. Mm Uh, God is, remember Jesus said, look, if, if these didn't cry out, the rocks would start crying out. Our God is worthy of praise. And I tell people, you follow the truth wherever it takes you. Mm-hmm. It might be painful. You may not want to know it, but truth is the only thing that can set you free when you know it. John eight thirty two. Andrew, let me ask you this.
3: Jesus said, the truth will set you free. Conversely, error error
1: will leave you in bondage, won't mm-hmm. it? Absolutely. Yeah. And I just happen to have a teaching on this entitled <laughs> The Four Keys to Staying Full of God, yeah. based on Romans 120. And it is an awesome teaching. Mm-hmm. It's really good and it Really highlights that thankfulness, you know. Over in Second uh, Timothy chapter three, verses one through five, it lists sixteen things that are characteristic of the end times, and boy, it's just like reading a paper today. Every one of them, and one of them is unthankfulness, and it's listed right next to ungodliness. Mm -hmm. Being unthankful is ungodly. Deuteronomy chapter 28, I believe it's around verse 45 or 46, it says, because you didn't serve the Lord your God with thankfulness and joy for the abundance of all things, therefore you will serve your enemies in want and in need of all things. And so God held them accountable for not being thankful and brought judgment on them. Now, praise God, our judgment's been placed on Jesus, but that still doesn't change the standards. We should be a thankful people. Mm. And man, America's got a lot to be thankful. We are not a, they're trying to make us a woke nation, but this is a godly nation that's under siege is what
2: Mm. it is. The greatest hope I have is one of my favorite books that uh, that he's got more than one volume, Bill Federer. Miracles in American yeah. History. Amen. All of the time, and we need one now. We happen to have them on our Truth and Liberty uh, website. Yes, we got American, ones. yeah.
1: Yeah, like yeah. American and, and
2: I hope this is stirred. You know, reminder, everybody, there's a phone number right there. We, we're ready to, for questions, I yes. think, after yep. the break. Right yep. after but the break. 719-619-2341. Uh, give us your questions. Get online. We would like to hear from you. We, uh, this has been rich when we have these these Amen. people it's asking their questions. Very so, good.
1: And, Richard, would you quickly just tell them about our website, Truth and Liberty, because it's one of the best websites around.
0: Well, thank you. Yeah, sure, Andrew. Well, so truthandliberty.net, we've got a research center. And if you go on that tab and pull it down, you'll see all kinds of stuff. You'll see our blogs. You'll see our voting uh, information center where you can find your congressman and senator. You can uh, register to vote. You can uh, find the party platforms and all that sort of stuff. And then there's the uh, resources where you can find everything from uh, stuff on the LGBT movement to critical race theory to uh, at the elections and whether there was election integrity and just everything you can imagine. And we've also got a new pastor resource center specially designed for pastors to equip you to lead your congregation into uh, being salt and light in the culture. So there's just all kinds of stuff on there. There so so over 100 actually, links.
1: We actually have uh, staff that go out and collect all of the news and then kind of condense it so that you don't have to go to 100 different places. We give you some of the headlines. And it's just a great resource. Yep. So we'd encourage you to do that. Also, we'd encourage you to subscribe and get our normal uh, emails and social media things that we send out. And then also we have partnerships for $5 minimum automatic withdrawal per month. You can give more than that, but that's the minimum that we ask for. And uh, it takes a lot of money to do what we're doing, and praise God, it's making a difference. So let's take a break. Like Mark said, the number is 719-619-2341. We'll take a 90-second break, and we'll be right back to take your calls.
4: Hi, my name is Carrie Pickett, and like many of you, I wear lots of hats. But most of all, I'm a child of God. Ever since I was young, my desire has been to share the unconditional love of God. There is nothing more rewarding to me than people changing their lives and then changing the world. That's why I'm inviting you to join me wherever you are, and let's discover together these foundational truths that will transform your life.
1: Well, welcome back to our Truth and Liberty Live call-in program. Again, we do this every weekday from 3.30 until 5 p.m. Mountain Time. And uh, we take your calls. And from this time on, next week, we are each going to host one day. I've got Wednesday. This is Monday. Tuesday is Alex. Uh, Richard is uh, Thursday. And then we'll rotate on Fridays. And we just encourage you to make this a part of your day. I think we're doing some really good things. It's blessed me. And also, if you'd help us publicize this, it's brand new. I don't remember the exact numbers, but we've had up into the thousands of people who are on uh, watching this at any one time. And I think it'll grow and it'll get to where it becomes a a factor. So thank you for joining us. And so we're going to go to our phones and we got Sandra and uh, you are from, uh, is that Brighton, Colorado? Or big horn? I think somebody misspelled something. But anyway, Sandra, you are on the phone with us. Do you have a question for us? So, Sandra, we're having trouble hearing you, but I've, I heard enough to say that you're asking about the scripture that says, No war, weapon formed against you shall prosper. And then on the screen it says, So, why do Christians still face attacks from the enemy? It didn't say, No attack against you will prosper. It's just mm-hmm. saying that, uh, you know, Satan can attack us. And you're quoting from Isaiah chapter 54, verse 17, is where that is. And right after it says, no weapon formed against you will prosper, the next phrase says, and every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. So you have a part to play in this. It's like the children of Israel. God said in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 24, He says, arise, cross over the river, enter in, because I have given Sihon into your hand. And yet they hadn't fought the battle yet. But from God's standpoint, it was done But they had to go in and possess the land. You have a uh, promise that no weapon formed against you is going to prosper, but then you have to stand up and condemn every word that comes against you. If you don't take your stand and use your authority, well, then weapons can prosper and prevail against you. So there's two things. God has given us this power so that no weapon can prosper, but you have to stand
2: up and use your authority and resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Amen. And I've heard it said too, that battle is the seed for victory. And when you were talking about King Sihon, if you, if you, if you look at that, what it says is God hardened his heart. And so God started that battle and he said, go on and possess the land. I've given it to you. But there was a battle that had to ensue. Mm -hmm. And so that's why when it says, put on the whole armor of God, well, armor is for battle. And uh, I like what you said, you know, the way you said that, Andrew, that it uh, didn't say anything about attacks not forming, but the weapons won't prosper. That's right.
1: And also Deuteronomy chapter 7, I believe it's verse 22, talking about them going in and possessing the land. It says, I'm not gonna give it to you all at once,
5: mm-hmm.
1: but I'm gonna give it to you little by little because the beasts of the field would multiply, the thorns would multiply, and you wouldn't be able to handle it. So God has given us total victory, but we only encounter it to the degree that we've matured and are able to handle it. So there is a growth and there's a process.
0: Ephesians 6, take up the shield of faith where you may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked ones. So you've got to take up your armor. Uh, to stop those from So, coming.
1: Sandra, I understand what you're saying, that there's sometimes an apparent contradiction between what the Word says about us and what our experience is. But we don't ever interpret the Word by our experience. We interpret our experiences by the Word of God. Amen. And uh, if something isn't working out, it's not God's promise who didn't come to pass. It's us, some way or another, not appropriating it. It's a good place to start.
2: Think about when we met 46 years ago, the size of your ministry. I had no ministry. And, uh, but think if you would have walked out of that into this ministry up here. It would have killed me. It, you would not be here, would you? You know, we now have 1,100 employees, and it's
1: taken a long time to get there. we got so many things in place. Back then, when I met you, it was Jamie and me. We had no employees. And if God would have all of a sudden dumped this on me, it's, it would have crushed me. Mm-hmm. You just you have to grow in order mm-hmm. to be able to obtain those things.
3: And, and that's one of the beautiful things about the Christian life. Along the journey, we grow. We learn brand new things about trusting God. And I really believe for every Christian, there is blessing and increase they couldn't even dream of. I mean, and I look at this college, this ministry, your publishing, it is amazing. I look at your church and, and you're touching the world. And I look at what God's doing in my life. And mm. there was a day that if I knew where I, if I had known 20 years ago that I would be sitting on the panel of truth and liberty, I couldn't have gotten my head around that. And yet here we are. And I'm sure you all could testify. You just take you
1: know, it step by step. Yeah, or Every sure. day. Absolutely. So Sandra, I'm sorry we didn't have a better connection. And hopefully that answered your question. Let's go to Jenna from uh, Ares. Yeah. Oh, good. Well, well, good. Thank you, Sandra. <laughs> All right, let's go to Jenna in Arizona. Do you have a question for us, Jenna?
4: Yeah. Um,
5: my pet was diagnosed with a, a cancer a couple weeks ago, and so I wanted to know, do we go about, I've been praying over and binding back at the end of me and going about it as if I was myself was sick?
1: You know, a lot of people would think excuse me, I'm sorry to interrupt you. A lot of people would think that that praying for a pet is not a proper thing to do. But if you look in Deuteronomy chapter 28, the first 14 verses list the blessings that'll come upon us for serving the Lord. And one of them is that all of our cattle, all of our animals will be blessed also. And I actually had a woman who worked for me and uh, she had a cat that, and uh, when she got home from answering the phones, Uh, Her children told her that the cat had died during the day, and they had buried it in the backyard. And she says, no way. She went and dug (laughs) that cat up and prayed over it, and that cat came back to life. Amen. (laughs) If your faith is there, you can do it. So Jenna, go for it. Man, that's just great. There's no problem.
3: I believe in praying for pets, and forgive me for talking about myself too much, but Mark Cowart knows. I have a little dog named Esther that is... Part of the family. Well, we were down there, and my wife had a horse named Raven. All right, two pet stories I got to tell. Raven, the horse, was on its way to be euthanized, and its front knees were as big as cantaloupes. And we laid hands on that horse and prayed, because they said, That horse will never walk again. And yeah, I didn't want the poor thing to be in pain, but my wife and I prayed healing over this horse named Raven. Horse lived about six more years, was galloping, running. My wife was riding that horse. But one day, Raven Mm. nearby got itself killed by stepping on Esther's foot. (laughs) And uh, so we're down in the barn, and my little dog, Esther, I could show you a dozen pictures, screamed in pain. Well, that horse had stepped on Esther's foot. Didn't mean to. It was an accident. Esther was screaming. My little heart broke. Esther's tiny little foot was mashed flatter than a, a, a coffee saucer. I mean, it was a mess. I picked her up. That little hand was just a mess. And I got Angie. I said, get in the car. I drove 100 miles an hour to the vet. And I was praying over my dog that I love. You cannot know how much I love my little dog, Esther. (laughs) By the time we're walking in the vet, now I know you've got a dog you love too, know. don't laugh at me. I'm probably (laughs) probably
2: worse (laughs) than you are.
3: (laughs) So we ran in and the vet um, said, give me, they took an x-ray. 20 minutes later, the vet comes out, says, this dog's hand is fine. Hand? The, the paw, paw, little paw. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, that was quite the dog. We, we watched this dog's paw go from a mangled, mashed mess to being like brand new. Mm-hmm. But we prayed, and I got to believe that God, the Creator, who is an artist, He made everything from butterflies to giraffes. He cares about His animals. Just like we care about our pets, God cares too. I believe that. Amen.
1: Well, Jenna, you should have got some encouragement Mm -hmm. that, uh, yes, you can pray for your pets. That's (laughs) awesome. Praise God. Thanks, Jenna. Let's go to Jennifer in New Jersey. Uh, Have you got a question for us?
4: I do. Thank you, guys. This show is amazing. I'm well, good. watching every day. It's just too short. An hour and a half isn't long enough. Um, <laughs> so I was wondering about communion. How often we, if the Bible says, how often you're supposed to partake of it, and also what Jesus meant when he said, I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come.
1: Well, I'll let the pastor here, the practicing Current pastor, give the full answer. But from my understanding, there isn't a certain time placed on it. It just, Jesus said, as oft as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. And I don't think we do it often enough. True.
2: Yeah, he said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So I don't think there's a limitation. And I think we don't do it often enough. And we as a church, we do it as a congregation, the first. Sunday of every month, but you know we really try to guard against it becoming clinical or mechanical or just a tradition. Um, you know, you know where I had the most powerful communion time was in India, and you know there's almost a thousand pastors we'd minister at, and it was. It really impacted me. We'd get together after the week of the conference and and the whole place would take communion. There was such a tangible presence of God. And I think what it was, many of our pastors have been killed, they've been beaten. And I don't know if it's that they grasp the sacrifice of Calvary and the price that Jesus paid. And but I almost, you know, my own self, I'm challenged to make sure that doesn't become clinical or mechanical. But it's something that I think we can, we can do often and should do often. And regarding this, you all jump in on this. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So this was the last supper. Now, I understand that the Jewish understanding of that cup and everything like that, there's quite a, a depth of meaning. Maybe you guys could weigh in on that and share that. Well,
1: let me just give a quick answer that the, Jesus said in, I believe, Luke 17, that the kingdom of God doesn't come with outward observation, but it's within you. So when he says, I'm not going to drink of this until uh, the kingdom of God comes, when he rose from the dead and he became, the people became born again is when the kingdom of God came in them. And it was after his resurrection that he ate and drank with his disciples. And I believe that's when the kingdom came.
0: Yeah. Going back to the first question, though, Jennifer, i just tell you, uh, of course, I was raised Catholic. And so Catholics, they look at communion as like this, you know, uh, they believe in that the, the bread actually becomes the literal physical body of Jesus Christ and they have to have communion every time you have a mass. You know, but it becomes, it becomes a ritual. It becomes uh, a routine for you. And then, uh, you know, in, before coming here, we were going to a church where they never had communion. They set it on a little table over off to the side, and if you wanted to, you could walk over there and do it yourself. But they never did it in the service. So those are two extremes. That was not the right way because the people lost out on the whole experience of the, that God intended with it. But the ritual part's not right either. So I think every time we take communion, we need to be sure that we are realizing what we're doing and what it's all about. And it's, uh, it's, it's designed by God to be a covenant meal and a recognition of Christ's sacrifice of his body and the pouring out of his blood for the forgiveness of our sins and our healing and redemption. And there's something about it when it's done with the right attitude that just reminds us of how much God loves us and what he's actually done to save us and, and brings to mind his promises. So it's a powerful thing. And I do believe we should do it often. Although you're
2: right, Pastor, not to make it a ritual. And there's actually a warning about in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where it says there are many that don't discern the body of Christ rightly, That's and because right. of that many are weak and sickly, and some have even died prematurely. Mm-hmm. I don't, we, when we receive communion on Sunday morning we, we tell them you must be a member of the body of Christ. You don't have to be a member of our right. church, but you must be a member. So, it's not something to take lightly.
1: And I think that we need to do it not only in a group. There's certainly benefit doing it as a church, discerning the Lord's body and stuff, but we also need to do it personally. We just need to make it personal. The whole key is do it in remembrance. Mm -hmm. There is no, you know, I actually heard a guy say this one time, and I've done it. He says the elements aren't like you were talking about. They don't turn into the actual body and blood of Jesus as the Catholics uh, call it Trans. Transubstantiation. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. It's not that. I heard a guy say one time, it wouldn't matter if you took a hamburger and a Coke and use it to do in remembrance of Him. It will work. And I know that that's blasphemy to some people, but that really does get across the point that it's not the elements, it's not the ritual, mm-hmm. it's remembering that Jesus gave Himself for us. Amen. That's what's important. Mm-hmm. Amen. All right. So, Jennifer, I hope that helped you. So let's go to uh, Daniel in Columbus, Ohio. You're on the air with us. What have you got to say? You there? Yes, sir. You're on with us. Oh, hi, you doing? Hey, guys. Uh, the second time i watch you guys, outstanding. My question is, uh, how do you stand up? We're, my wife and I pray every night for our country and all this stuff that's going on and the corruption and the LBGDQ, and it just seems like we're getting snowballed. I've even gotten to the point, I don't even watch the news except for the weather, but what more can we do? I just, I can't, but I got grandsons growing up and I can't believe this is what we're going to pass off to them. Mm -hmm. Well, Daniel, we've had this question or a similar thing a number of times already this week, and this is a real problem. People are being discouraged. BECAUSE THE ONLY SOURCE OF NEWS THAT MOST PEOPLE HAVE IS WOKE NEWS, IT'S NOT TRUTH, IT'S PROPAGANDA. WE'VE TALKED ABOUT THIS ALL WEEK LONG. AND SO ONE OF THE THINGS YOU'VE GOT TO DO IS, LIKE YOU'RE SAYING, NOT LISTEN TO ALL OF THAT STUFF. AND YOU'RE GOING TO HAVE TO HAVE A PERSONAL RELATIONSHIP WITH THE LORD. AND IF YOU ARE IN PRAYER AND WORSHIPING GOD, GOD'S GOING TO KEEP YOU ENCOURAGED. THE LORD SPOKE TO ME, MARCH the 5, 2021, THAT WE ARE ALREADY IN THE THIRD GREAT AWAKENING. Now, that's not the kind of thing I've ever heard over a news broadcast, but that's what God says. If you'll listen to God, God will keep you encouraged. And there's a lot of really good things happening. And and you're going to have to go directly to God into things like Truth and Liberty, live call-in show. And there's just a few places that are presenting the positive side, but the negatives are certainly out there and they're being amplified.
0: Uh, Andrew, I didn't mention earlier when you asked about the website, but one thing we do have is the 24-7 news feed so you can go on our website and get all the news of the day in uh, probably ten minutes just looking over our twenty four seven newsfeed i mean we it's not a video it's just uh... you know inform. you have to read it but it'll it'll get you uh... up to speed on what's going on and i, I do think that you know you, the your question is how do we stand against this will Um, you have to speak up. We all have to speak up. We can't allow ourselves to be discouraged in this fight because um, it's not up to us to determine, you know, we said this the other day, how people are going to respond or even whether it makes a difference. We just need to do our duty to be salt and light and uh, shine the light into the culture and then we leave the results up to God.
2: Daniel, also, one of the things I was thinking about, so I always refer to the fact Jesus Christ full of grace and truth. I am so thankful that grace is in front of truth because yes. we all needed grace. Mm. And I, I say it this way. <clears throat> I think sometimes Christians, and this is no reference to you or anything like that, but I, I know that some Christians, they come so hard with truth and no grace yeah. that I liken it truth being like the surgeon's scalpel, grace being the anesthesia. Can you imagine someone getting surgery without anesthesia? There's actually a condition, a medical condition, it's happened before, where they went under anesthesia and they're completely immobile. They couldn't speak, but they felt everything. And people have actually gone through surgeries feeling everything and they couldn't let them know how painful it was. There's a book called, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. It's Rosario Butterfield, and she was a radical lesbian, found out about her through our mutual friend. And she was a radical lesbian, uh, very educated, very liberal, but she had a neighbor, and I was trying to remember if he was a pastor or just a believer, and they would have them over for, for dinner. And it was around the table that she began to experience the love of God. He didn't preach to her per se. She. Came out of that lifestyle miraculously. She is married to a man now and they have children. And so sometimes I, f- I think we forget, you know, that thing where people don't care what we know till they know that we care. Yeah. I-, I think that would go a long way for us in the body of Christ to really say, Lord, help us extend your love and emanate. And uh, I love what Bishop Joshua says because he sees exploits. Uh, with radical people that would oppose him and hate him. He says, I talk to God about people before I talk to people about God. Mm. And when he does, he goes, I'll go to them. And even though they they're sitting there, I don't like you, I hate you. And for some reason, I'm going to listen to you. <laughs> and it's because yeah, yeah. he's been talking to God about them. And uh, I've learned That's a lot good. from Bishop Joshua on that. Yeah. That's so good.
3: You know, one thing that we need to do in any fight, and certainly the fight about morality and homosexuality versus heterosexual uh, monogamy, we've got to obviously pray and, and use the spiritual weapons at our disposal and our authority but we've got to be educated and we've got to be engaged. And there's somebody, you mentioned Rosaria Butterfield, one of the great books of the last 25 or 30 years that I teach when I'm teaching in practical government school, a book by Dr. Jeffrey Satinover called Homosexuality and the Politics of Truth. The the, uh, enforcement and the really imposing of the LGBTQ trans agenda, uh, it's been cultural, it's been a social phenomenon. It's been definitely a political and economic phenomenon, but fundamentally, it's been a spiritual phenomenon. And you know what's so funny is, um, it, we're watching the LGBTQ trans juggernaut implode on itself. And by that, I mean that um, you know, 25, 30 years ago, we were hearing about you know, gay men wanted their acknowledgement and lesbian women. But then that wasn't enough. They wanted to be able to adopt. But when the gay couples wanted to adopt, where did they have to go? To heterosexual couples, because gays can't procreate. And then they said, you know, gay men, lesbian women. But along comes the transgenders saying, well, men and women are not objective realities. You know, males can be females and vice versa. And it's just imploding on itself. And now they're in public libraries having drag queen story hour. They're in fourth grades teaching kids about unspeakably immoral things. I just read about two days ago even some of the gay activists are saying, time out here. Mm -hmm. We're, We're sexualizing kids, we're castrating children, giving hormone blockers that cause 17 types of cancers Mm. in young people. Um, I interviewed, I was at an oncology hospital in North Carolina, interviewed two doctors, two nurses. They they consented to be interviewed by me as long as I wouldn't reveal their names, which I wouldn't do. But this one cancer doctor, this was one year ago, that they were dealing with people transitioning that are getting muscle tumors, cancers in their bodies. And this doctor said to transition is to give yourself cancer. Wow. So uh, to your question, Daniel, how do we stand against it? I mean, we stay informed, we stay engaged, we vote, we pray. But ultimately, error always runs out of gas. Truth is eternal error eventually will
1: wear itself out. Now, let me give one last scripture before we let Daniel go. But it says in Hebrews 3:12, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So Daniel, I would say one of the things that you do to stand against all of this is you need a fellowship whether it's a church, and I think church is the best place to do it, but not all churches function this way. Many churches, it's just one hour a week. But you need a group of believers that you can join with and exhort one another daily. We see this at Caris Bible College. I was talking to people today, and they were just overwhelmed. They said that this is transforming them. We spend four hours a day together every day, and it's changing people's lives. And I guarantee you, we don't have any of the depression and discouragement and stuff in Karis that you'll see out in the world because we are constantly being encouraged. So that's a big part of it. Amen. Amen. All right. so thanks for the call, Daniel. Let's go to Claudia in Illinois. Do you have a question or a comment?
4: Yes, I do. Um, A lot of my friends and church friends as well as um, non-church friends are talking a lot about what is coming and how we're going to be losing our electricity and we're going to need to stock up on water and food. And um, I'm just, I'm not wanting to really buy into that. And I just wondered what you had to say about that.
1: Well, again, let me start this. I'm sure everybody's got a comment on this. We've already had a question similar to this, but it reminds me of Y2K. And Claudia, I don't know how old you are. I don't know if you were paying attention when uh, we turned January the 1st, 2000. But Christians were panicking, saying you need to buy supplies, get generators. I had a guy working for me who actually worked for Sears, and Sears ran out of generators. I mean, there was a rush on all this, and it was all fear-based. And one of my friends in Chicago, which you're from Illinois, one of my friends in Chicago was not only selling food, selling generators, but selling guns and saying, you need to defend your family because people are going to come after your food. And he was preparing his believers to kill people in the name of the Lord uh, you know, and protect themselves. That was foolish, and it was fear-based. And I don't think that any of those things that you're talking about, Claudia, are the ways that a Christian should respond. There's nothing wrong with you having some things in case your electricity goes off a brief period of time. But you can't be totally self-sufficient. And if things get that bad, God is going to have some provision for it. Personally, I don't believe that's going to happen. I think that that's an extreme overreaction you might take some precautions, but we need to operate in faith. If you have to, take your food and pray over it and let God multiply Amen. 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 <laughs>
2: Amen. Well, I know everybody's probably got a different <laughs> conviction on that. Going back to the Y2K, I remember everybody was saying, you know, you should, and so I thought, well, maybe we ought to go. So we bought a generator. We bought one of those heaters and <laughs> And while I was doing that, honestly, my spirit was not bearing witness with mm-hmm. what I was doing. Mm. But now, the time that we're in right now, I've looked at it and I've I've been just asking the Lord, like, Lord, are we going to get to the place because we our government has just been doing things that has we our borders are overflowing with with illegals that are coming in. Uh, You know, you'd go in stores, this started a while back, and you're looking at all these sparse shelves and stuff like that. So I guess to be dogmatic on either side probably would not be wisdom, but I am asking the Lord about that. And I think you need to follow your heart, seek wise counsel. And, you know, I suppose a plan a saying could apply, it's better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. I believe for divine protection and safety, but I do wear my seat belts. you know. And you know, I would say this, though,
1: that people that went out and bought all of this stuff, uh, many of them did it motivated by fear. And Fearless. I heard this statement over and over, it's better to be prepared and safe than sorry, and it can't hurt to have this stuff. It can hurt if your motivation for doing it is fear Mm -hmm. because when the time passes, like with Y2K, when January the 1st, 2000 came, you can't just turn off that fear that you lived under for two years and all of a sudden go back to being normal. Mm -hmm. It messed up people. I saw families, divorces that came, people, churches that fell apart Mm -hmm. because they had minister operated in fear instead of operating in faith. So don't do anything motivated by fear. I you know, agree with If that. God speaks to you and tells you to do something, and you do it out of obedience, that's one thing, but don't operate in fear. Uh, man, God sustained the Israelites supernaturally through all of the plagues that came on the land, and He will sustain us. And you just cannot become totally independent unless you move out in the middle of the woods and kill your own food and do everything yourself.
2: And when you said that, if you're being led by fear, I don't believe you're being led by the Holy Spirit. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, mm-hmm. they are the sons, daughters of God.
3: Amen. Well, I uh, you, you got something? Well, Galatians 5, 1, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. And over and over it'll say, and having done all to stand and where to exhort one another. And uh, yeah, I, I really agree with, with the, the men here. Uh, decisions made out of fear
1: are just virtually always wrong. Yeah,
3: right. Amen. Right.
0: God's not given us the spirit of fear.
1: Right. Yeah. So anyway, we do need to use wisdom, but at the same time, don't ever do anything out of fear. And, and uh, Claudia, it's my experience that the people who are pushing these things are using fear as a motivation. You might even check your own heart and see, has this caused fear in you? If it has, then cut off the source that is uh, delivering that fear to you is what would be my suggestion. All right, so thank you for your call, Claudia. We're going to go to uh, a break right now, and we're going to come back on the other side of the break and take some more questions. But let's take a 90-second break, and we'll be right back. At Truth
0: and Liberty Coalition, we have big plans to make a big impact. If you wanna be a part of turning our nation back to God, I wanna invite you to become a supporter of Truth and Liberty. You can go on our website at truthandliberty.net to the donate page and make a gift there. And you can also sign up to be uh, make a recurring automatic gift of $5 or more per month, and then you'll become a Truth and Liberty member. And uh, our gifts to Truth and Liberty are not tax deductible, but I promise you, God sees your generosity. So go to Truth and Liberty. Liberty
6: and become a member today. Andrew is pleased to offer his highly anticipated series, Biblical Worldview. In this Voxet curriculum series, Andrew outlines the importance for every Christian believer to have a Biblical worldview in every area of their life. Each volume contains multiple lessons that include a video, audio file, chapter lesson, and printable PDF wrapped in a single box set containing a workbook, audio USB, and personal access code to the online videos. Each lesson is full of supporting facts, quotes, charts, and historic visuals. Through the online platform, you'll have lifetime access to all of the video and digital workbooks on your computer or smart device. The Biblical Worldview series is available for only $120 per installment. This resource is perfect for individual or group study. Go to awmi.net to order these valuable resources today. So welcome back. And let me remind you that those
1: uh, biblical worldviews that you just saw advertised, those things are awesome. And we have anywhere up to 10 people or so, that different people who come to Karis Bible College that are bringing their expertise on these things. Alex is kind of driving this train on biblical worldview. And tomorrow is the release of our biblical worldview entitled Racism. And we have... Uh, Abe Hamilton III, a black man that is a lawyer and very well connected. A- assistant DA from New Orleans. And E.W. Jackson, another no. black brother. Man, he just is awesome. Over. And we've got Amen. all of us speaking to this issue. And and not only the one on racism, but we have one on sexism or sex. Uh, what is it? Human sexuality. Yeah, I knew it just wasn't about sex. <laughs> and we've got, oh my goodness. They, they are great. They and, are great. And anyway, there's a third off on all of these. And so please advantage of that. And I also want to mention real quickly that we're giving this little booklet that I wrote away on what is truth. And I tell you, it's powerful. It's just a little 30, 40 page uh, booklet, but it summarizes some things and it's really good. So it's been good. So let's go back to our phones. We've got, uh, uh, let's see, did we have Ruth on yet? Not yet. Okay. So Ruth from Illinois, you are on the program with us. Welcome.
4: Thank you. Thank God for Andrew's teachings. I'd be lost. My question is some churches teach based on Ezekiel 44 that during the millennium we will be able to cross over to the wrong side of the gulf to immediate family members and talk to them the truth of Christ Jesus and if we're successful, bring them over to the right side of the gulf. What
1: well, Ruth, let me, let me just say that I have studied the Word day and night for 55 years. I have never heard that before. I have studied Ezekiel 44. I've never gotten that out. I think people are reading things into Scripture. And, you know, there's a lot of people that make their entire ministry off of taking something and inserting things and bringing interpretations, extrapolating things out of scripture that aren't obvious. And I am just not into doing that. There is no doubt that some scriptures are symbolic. There are no doubt that you can get greater truths out of a scripture than what just meets the eye. But if you've meditated on it for hours hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and you never get these things, then I'd say it's not worth getting. It should well, be more obvious.
0: Jesus told uh, some say it wasn't a parable, but he talked about Lazarus, who was a poor man who sat at the gate of the rich man, and he died. and the And the, the rich man, when he was in torment, cried out, saying, "I cannot cross over." And so uh, it's pretty clear that that's not yeah. possible.
1: Well, I understand that. I wasn't sure what she was talking mm-hmm. about about crossing over Jordan. That's not anyway. Yeah, uh, Ruth, I I don't know the whole detail. It'd be. It's kind of presumptuous of me to claim to have a total answer, but I just do not bear witness with this at all. Yeah. I think you ought to just major on the majors and leave the minors alone. There, there is no second chance after death.
2: Yeah. And Ruth, it, it, as you said, Alex, it is appointed unto man once to die, and then after that is the judgment once you cross over. Now, years ago, my sister used to work for a Mormon gentleman. And so I was really on fire for the Lord. So she set up a debate uh, for us, but there was a couple that came to town who were Orthodox Christians. They'd raised their daughter in a Christian home. She went to a university of some sort in Salt Lake and she converted over to the Mormons. So he took an early retirement and they traveled the country. So I studied a full week every night at this church in town on the Mormons and they believe in baptizing the dead. Now, this is gonna sound harsh, but this is just factual. This is not an attack. The Mormons are not just a false religion, the doctrine. Now, there's some good people in there, but that doesn't make you saved. Right. But, so that's not just a false religion or cult. They get into the occultic area because in the temple, they have spirit appearances of the dead. Those are familiar spirits. Mm-hmm. And so you're in a, that, that belief is in a very, and it's a misunderstanding of 1 Corinthians 15. You can't baptize your loved ones that have already gone and right. been deceased and all that kind of thing. Yep. So in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be confirmed. That's never take just one scripture or one little subject. There, there needs to be supporting scriptures. The Bible yep. confirms itself and interprets itself.
1: I may have misunderstood the question because as I'm reading it on my little monitor, it's about witnessing to loved ones who have passed away. I didn't understand that. I thought this was people that were still alive. But I agree a thousand percent with everything they're saying. You have to make your decision in this life. Once you're dead, there is no such thing as purgatory, praying a person out or anything like that. you got to make your decision right now. Hope that helped, Ruth. All right, so let's go to Tom in uh, Woodland Park. So we're glad to have you, Tom. Are you one of our students in Woodland Park? We lost you, Tom. Are you still there? Yes, I am. Can you hear me? Okay, now we can hear you just fine. What have you got? Just my question, how do you answer someone that would say, how
5: could God have a son? Uh, throughout eternity before He was ever
1: born of Mary. Uh, How did... Do you understand that? Yeah, well, Jesus existed. It says in Colossians chapter 1, there's many places, but all things were created by Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. I think that's John chapter Mm 1. But Colossians chapter 1 also says the same thing. So Jesus existed as God John 4, 24 says, God is a spirit. Jesus existed as a spirit from eternity. There was no beginning. But he did have a beginning to his physical body. And, of course, God uh, called him his son there. So there was a beginning to the physical body of Jesus. But Jesus existed in everything. All of creation was created by him.
3: Yeah. Um, And, Tom, thank you for this question. This relates to the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, eternal. Uh, I can't say I fully understand this, but I absolutely believe it, you know. Um, But how did God have a son before the virgin birth? Well, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, eternally coexisted, forever, one God. And yet, when Jesus came into the world, uh, the word for it is the incarnation that God took on a human body and Jesus came into this world born of a virgin, born in the Bethlehem manger to ultimately go to Calvary's cross to die on the cross, pay for our sins. And let, let me just throw this in for what it's worth. You know, John 3:16 very famously says, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but would have everlasting life. So I was witnessing to a Muslim gentleman And he really stumbled over those English words, only begotten, um, wondering how God impregnated Mary. And I said, well, really what those words mean in the original language means that Jesus is of the exact same nature as the Father. Monogenesis is the Greek word. So only begotten means that Jesus is fully God, fully man, but not fallen man, and uh, that's why Jesus could say uh, in John 10, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father.
1: I just yeah. happen to have a great teaching on that entitled The Word Became Flesh, and mm. it talks specifically about how could God become a man. Mm. And it explains it, I think, in right. really good terms. So, Praise the Lord. Anyway, you could call in and get that. But, Tom, hopefully that had helped you. So let's go to J.J., in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. And I just happen to know you, JJ. You were a student, and we actually have a video about you about how God brought you from extreme poverty into extreme blessing. And you are a blessing. We're glad to have you on with us.
4: Well, yes, praise God. Thanks, Andrew. It's so good to talk to you. And thank you for everything you do so that I can learn how to walk with the Lord much easier and faster because I like the route you've taken me instead of me doing it by myself. So praise God for mm-hmm. you and all your wisdom and discernment.
1: So, J.J., right before we get to your question, what is the title of the video that we have on you in case people want to go to our website and watch that?
4: Financial Stewardship.
1: Financial Stewardship in uh, J.J. Volume Brazel. 2. Yeah, Volume yes, 2. Sir, you volume would be two. blessed by it. She is. Awesome. You are a blessing. All right. Have you got a question for us? Well, I was going to be feeling Ask you are the dorms ready yet, but I no. we, uh, anyway, that's a whole nother discussion, but we are in a major battle with the city. We're ready to go. We've got money to go, but the city is fighting us and they just don't know that they've lost yet. <laughs> <laughs> right. We're sounds a little like yeah. the devil. I'm
4: in agreement with you. Amen.
1: Amen. So have you got a question?
4: Uh, yes, I do. Um, i would I wanted to know your thoughts about us Christians and followers of God of Jesus, should we support the chosen that's you know in its third series and it's going to like eight series and what are your thoughts about you know putting seed into that, putting financial seed into that.
1: Mm. Well, we've already talked about this this week. We had another question along there, so we won't go through the whole thing. But let me just say that, you know, uh, Mark was talking about the Mormon church and talking about it's not just error, that it's actually occultish. cultish. Uh, to me, the thing that qualifies an occult, people uh, use that word to just basically say that anything they don't agree with is a cult. And I disagree with that. I think that there's a wide range of disbeliefs and and you aren't a cult. So to me, a cult is any person who denies the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, the fact that he became a physical man and stuff. Now, inside of that, if you accept Jesus as God and he's the only salvation, the only way to salvation, then if you believe that you aren't a cult, you might be misinformed. So I say that as background to say that there are things that I disagree with. We've already talked about this this week, and I don't think it's a perfect representation of things, but it is not wrong. It is not error. In my estimation, they have captured the heart of what I believe Jesus was like better than anything I've ever seen, any depiction, and I think that there is value to it. Now, Mm -hmm. but if you substitute it for the Bible, And you just say, oh, this is the way it is. No, there's things in there that they are taking not only artistic license where they're inserting things that isn't clear, they're taking some things that it specifically says that it was one way and they've changed it. But it's not the foundational truths. It's not the basic truth. So my impression is it's worth promoting, it's worth investing in but I wouldn't uh, recommend it without any qualifications. Mm. People need to get into the Word for themselves.
2: Mm. Mm -hmm.
1: You guys got anything to add? We've already talked
2: about this. Yeah, I think it's well said what you just said.
1: So thank you, JJ. We love you. Thank you for calling in. And let's go to Susan in Sholo, Arizona. You're on the air with us, Susan. Do you have a question for us?
4: Oh, yes. First, I'd like to thank you, Andrew, for your ministry. I had a great healing in my body. I'm listening God. to you. Someone introduced me to your ministry, and after listening, I had a, a, a great healing, so I just want to thank you for that.
1: Amen. That's great. Um,
4: so my question is, maybe I'm not understanding this right, but the Bible says, you die once, then the judgment. Um, Enoch and Elijah did not die, and as I understand, those that go up in the rapture won't die. So am I uh, understanding this verse right or wrong? What happens to Elijah and Enoch if they never died once?
3: Let let me jump in on this for a minute, and Susan, thank you for that great question. Um, You, in a way, reference Hebrews 9.27 that says, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. Uh, The word die in the English is translated die, uh, it's a Greek word that um, it can mean to die, like we think of something, you know, expiring or passing away. But it really means to separate. And in the case of uh, leaving this world, the the body, soul, and spirit, the the non-physical part of the human separates from the physical part. And so, in a way, I think about when you know Enoch and Elijah. Uh, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. He got translated on up to heaven. Uh, he might not have had to physically die to get to heaven, but he definitely there was that separation, and um, this also gets into the subject of when we get our glorified body and and that kind of thing. But um, I think about um, it's a point of a man wants to separate. We're going to separate from what? Well, from this realm, from this world, from this mortal body that is uh, wasting away. Uh, so I understand what you mean. What's the? How do you reconcile those two? But The word translated die really means separation.
1: Amen. I don't believe that our concept of death where it's just the end is totally wrong. When man died, he said, in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. They didn't physically die, but they were separated. That's what death means in Scripture. But um, anyway, uh, I was studying recently about Moses and just thinking about him and thinking how powerful he was. And to be 80 days in the presence of God and your face shine and yet he died. Mm -hmm. And Elijah, even though he did some great things, Elijah messed up big time. (laughs) Asked God to kill him and uh, ran away from God, and yet he was translated and didn't die. So, I don't think that those who didn't die was because they were superior, godly, or anything. I don't know all of the reasons. I don't understand all of that. Now, Pastor Mark probably does. (laughs) He's figured out all of these things. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) You got an impression on this?
2: No, I agree with the separation part, and we view death totally different. Um, You know, growing up, one of my favorite shows was Gunsmoke, and it always opened with Matt Dillon coming out, drawing his gun. And killing a guy. And killing a guy, and he lays in the street and you think, he's dead. He's not dead. You know, one time I was in a big five-star hotel and there was these very wealthy men from the 1800s and I was walking around looking and I said, well, all those guys are dead right now because it had been a long time. And I said, but they're alive somewhere right now. Their body died. So we really have to be careful because the definition of death, I thought you pulled that out so well, Alex, that it's, it's, we're very much alive once we die. It's just where we go, mm-hmm. and it's only one of two places.
1: Well, James Word. chapter 2, verse 26, I believe, says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Mm-hmm. So that scripture shows you that when a person dies, their spirit separates from their body and you can combine that with Romans uh, Revelation chapter 6 where he saw the souls of them under the altar uh, who had been martyred and so putting those scriptures together your spirit and soul leave your body and even in when we get caught up what I call the second coming what Mark calls the rapture when we get caught up to the Lord there will be a separation mm-hmm. from this physical body we will be changed into a glorified body so in that sense even people in the rapture get changed. They die. They separate from this mortal flesh, and they put on incorruption. So the same thing happens.
0: Yeah, Jesus said uh, that he who believeth in me shall never die. And even though he dies, he'll he'll continue. I can't quote it exactly. Yeah. but John 11. Yeah, the, the, the key is that you look at all of the scripture on the subject, and not just at one verse, like the one where it says it's appointed unto man once to die. The Bible also says, that when Christ comes, those who who are alive and remain will be caught up in the air and their bodies will be transformed at that time. So you have to look at the entire picture.
1: But in a sense, they do die. They're, they're, they separate from this mortal, corruptible flesh and they become incorruptible.
0: Yeah, this mortal shall put on immortality.
1: Hey, i
3: got to tell you guys this. Forgive me for jumping in, but I was down in Austin, Texas. Did I, did I tell you all about when I went to that palliative care hospital and they asked me to speak? This was, Right before COVID, probably summer of 2019, but I was speaking all over Texas and this very godly Christian doctor he said, There's a palliative care hospital where it's an end of life. We make people comfortable. Would you speak to the staff? And, yeah. and I thought, Okay, what could I say? So I go in and there's probably about 125 doctors and nurses and they introduced me and I said, You know, thanks for letting me be here. And I said, uh, You know, you're caring for people as they pass, end of life. And here's the question. I think the Lord gave it to me. I said, how many have seen things in this hospital that make you believe in the afterlife? How many have seen things that make you think the soul survives death? Well, one by one, 100% of the hands went up. And then two hours, these doctors, nurses, some were Christians, some weren't, but they said, we we saw the room go bright. And they said, mm. it's the Christians who always seem to die with a smile on their face. Mm. And they, wow, they for two hours, I was hearing testimonies and they said, people that were just paralyzed by disease would sit up in the bed and say, I see Jesus. And and I ask them and we'll go, I know we have other callers, but I said, does anybody ever say, I see Allah or Vishnu or, you know, Vivekananda or any, you know. There's people that see hell. Yeah. Oh, let me, let me tell you, I've had a nurse and several doctors and their, their hair was standing up on the back of their neck as they were recounting stories of patients dying,
1: screaming out. I mean, it's... I had an employee that died and went to hell. And in hell, she cried out and came back to life. And when she came back to life, she committed her life to the Lord right there. Oh, yeah. Wow,
3: wow.
1: (laughs) Man, not many people get to go to hell and come back. She was resurrected. So thank you, uh, Susan. We're going to go to the next caller. We've just got a few minutes left. And this is Linda from Texas. And Linda, thank you for being a partner with us. And your question is directed to Richard, because earlier in the week, we had mentioned that Richard oh. has a different type of church and so apparently she saw that. Oh, okay, what's your question for Richard here Linda? Linda you're on the air with us if you're still there Well, I got on here, so I'll just read the screen it says how does your church work? You have a different way of conducting church. What's that? Like?
0: Yeah, well our church um, our our main uh, form of corporate worship is home church, so we have a collection of home churches that meet all over the world now. Uh, we originally were just right here in Woodland Park and now um, you know it's uh, it's spread and so uh, we come together though every, about every six weeks for what we call big church. So in, if we've got enough home churches in a local area then they can come together for a larger corporate worship service. But we we provide our home churches with a professionally produced uh, home church worship service video. And it, it includes teaching, it includes uh, offering and a worship service, and it's it's really awesome. And, uh, and then they also get discussion questions and an outline of the study uh, from the Word of God. And so the leaders can walk through that and then they have a time of, uh, body ministry where they get to pray for one another, encourage one another, share words, gifts of the Spirit, and that kind of thing. And uh, then also uh, usually, most of them always have a fellowship meal of some kind when they come together. So I did this because I, I, I felt the Lord impressing on us the need to return to the uh, the new covenant model of worship that we're given in the New Testament. And so uh, it's uh, I think it's a powerful, powerful thing.
1: I had one of my employees <coughs> tell me that when they came here they were looking for a church and they heard about your church, and yeah. they thought they'd go check it out. And man, they, they went there very skeptical, mm. and they said that it just, they connected, they've made oh, lifelong God. friends. It's a deeper connection than what most churches function at. Yeah. And is, is the person that they meet in their home, do you have leaders or anything? Yes.
0: We have home church leaders. And um, so on our website at upstreamministries.com, you can go to home church and find the list of home churches. And we don't put their addresses or phone numbers on there, but we do have emails, so you can email the leader and then they'll connect with you and help you find their church. So, and
1: how many places do you have?
0: Uh, I think we have fourteen now.
1: And how many are in the states?
0: Uh, gosh, I, I'm, I think we have six here. Yeah, six home churches. And so all in the, the US. rest,
1: I'm eight of them are international.
0: Yeah, we've got uh, five in in England, and then one in Pakistan, Zambia, and Australia.
1: Wow. Yeah, That's pretty slick. (laughs) Hey man, well, uh, I don't see our time. It's totally gone, so I'm in the dark. I think Uh think we've still got some time.
0: Yeah, about five minutes. Okay,
1: so let's take one more call here from Paul in Ohio. You're on the air with us, do you have a question for us?
5: Hey, thank you very much. I appreciate all that you guys do. So, I've heard this um, about the mustard seed faith. I've heard this one other time and with all four of you and the experience and knowledge that you all have, have you ever heard it this way? You know, it's always been explained the size of the faith. One pastor explained it to me that it was a cross-pollination, that if you cross-pollinate mustard seed with any other seed, it will always grow up to be a mustard seed plant. In other words, it's an unwavering unchanging kind of seed, no matter what it's, it's, I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: You would be saying it's the purity of the seed, not the size of the seed.
5: Hmm. Right, right. So like, just like James says that you can't be unwavering, Mm double-minded.
1: Well, I would agree with what you're saying. Uh, I've never looked at it that way. Uh, I have an entire teaching on this too. <laughs> just happened to have a teaching on this in my Hardness of Heart series, and I spend a whole uh, hour in something talking about Matthew 17, 20 through 21, about the, if you mm. have faith as a grain of mustard seed. Mm. And I do believe that it is appropriate to talk about that you don't need big faith, you just need a pure faith that isn't counterbalanced by unbelief. <laughs> Jesus said it was their unbelief that was a problem. So this may be one of those things I think you mentioned the other day, you called it the law of double reference. In other words, there can be more than one uh, truth that you uh, extrapolate from a passage of Mm. Scripture. So I'm not saying that that's wrong, Paul. I'm just saying that I think that the other is also correct, too, about the size of the seed.
3: Mm. Guess what
1: we used to do down on our
3: farm? We grew mustard greens did you? I'm from the south. I'm, guys, I'm, i i got to tell you, I'm Jiblings from the country. Stuff?
0: Yeah,
3: was collard uh, greens or? I Collard, collard <laughs> greens, spinach, turnip greens, but we grew mustard greens. And I want to tell you, mustard seeds are tiny. Yeah. They really are. I used to get 50-pound sacks of seed for mustard greens. And I remember as a, a young believer in my 20s thinking about the parable of the mustard seed. I say unto you, this is Matthew 17, 20, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place and it shall remove and nothing shall be impossible to you. And I used to think about that. The mustard
1: seed is very tiny and yet out of it comes something pretty big. Yeah. Well, in, uh, uh, Mark chapter 4, I believe it's verse 29 and 30, it talks about the mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds, but when it grows up, it becomes the largest of all herb-bearing plants and stuff. So in that sense, in that verse, Mark four thirty, I believe it is, it's contrasting the smallness of the seed to the large largen- largeness of the uh, fruit that it produces. So, mm. Again, Paul, I think that it could be both. It doesn't have to be one or the other. I hope that helps you, and I hope that you all have enjoyed being with us again. This is our fourth day doing this. This is brand new, and then we will be here again tomorrow, all four of us. Next week we're going to start to where each one of us will host one day. Pastor Mark's Monday, Alex is uh, Tuesday, I'm Wednesday, Richard is Thursday, and then we will uh, share Friday. We'll rotate on Fridays. and I tell you, I think it's really been good. It has been. I think people have been blessed. Amen. We've all been blessed. Yeah. And, you know, if there's any other way that we can help you, I have a helpline that's open 24-7, and there are people there to answer your calls. We see people born again. We've seen people raised from the dead over the phones, multiple people. And if there's any way that we can help you, if, you've ref- if we've referenced any of these teachings, uh, we've got a website, awmi.net. It has over 200,000 hours of free material. We've got some things that are for sale, but 200,000 hours of free material. So you can get that, you can call and get prayer, and just any way we can help you. And remember that I'm giving this book away, What is Truth, to anybody that calls that number, 719-635-1111, it's our gift to you. So thank you for joining us. We'll do this again tomorrow at 3.30 Mountain Time, and I believe you'll be blessed. So God bless you. We'll see you again tomorrow.
2: Thank you for joining today's Truth and Liberty livecast. You can watch today's and past
0: livecasts in our archives at truthandliberty.net. Our goal is to educate Christians and connect them with resources and organizations to help them impact their sphere of influence. You can help us accomplish this by making a donation at truthandliberty.net slash donate.
2: Join us next time for more Truth and Liberty.